We're going to look once again at Mark. Mark chapter 6, headed to the end of that chapter. And the title of the message tonight is, Jesus will appear in the midst of your trials. Beginning in verse 45 of Mark 6, we'll start reading. And it says, And straightway he, Jesus, constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him, and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret, and drew to the shore. And when they were come up out of the ship straightway, they knew him, and ran through the whole region round about, and began to carry about in beds those that were sick, where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered, into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets, and besought him that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. And Father, I just ask that your spirit will be here today, and you'll speak to our hearts through my lips, and I ask you'll guide this meeting, Lord, and your word to us from here on out. In Jesus' name, we pray. Picking it up here, Jesus had just fed the 5,000, and his 12 apostles went and collected the leftovers in baskets. Our text here informs us in verse 45 that when all that was over, it says straightway. It's a word that is used constantly in Mark. He likes to keep the action going. And that straightway means immediately. So immediately after that, it says he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and go to the other side. And that word for constrained means he's compelling them. He's urging them. He's like, come on, guys. I want you to get in this boat and get on out of here. He's not just politely asking him. He is like really urging him. It's the same word that's used in Luke 14, 23, where it says the Lord said unto his servants, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. So that's more than just a polite request. That is like, come on, I want you to come in here. And that's what he's doing. He's trying to get them in that boat and get on their way. And so what's the reason for that? Why is he doing that? So if you would just put something there in Mark and we'll look over in John 6 to get the reason. Why is he wanting them to get on out of there? So we look in John 6, beginning in verse 13. And this is the same story. We're picking up the end of when they pick up the fragments. It's the same feeding of the 5,000, John's version. But John has this at the end. Verse 13, it says, Therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. In verse 14, then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. And when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, 
he departed again into a mountain himself alone. So he's got a crisis to deal with here because these people, 5,000 of them, they are wanting to set him up and force him to be a king. There's like a fervor pitch in this crowd. He does not want his disciples to get all caught up into this. So he's going to get rid of them first. And then he's going to politely dismiss the crowd. And he's got to deal with this. You know, it's interesting. In John chapter 6, Jesus had three temptations in the wilderness, didn't he? Making bread to satisfy his own hunger, to be the king of the world, and to come down from that pinnacle of the temple and display his power and glory. We have the same things here, except in a different way. He refused to make bread to satisfy his own desire in the temptation of the wilderness. But yet, when it comes to feeding all those people, he performs that miracle, doesn't he? And when it comes to the kingdoms of the world, which is what we're seeing here, he's like, it's not God's time. I'm not going to give in to this temptation. And I don't want my disciples to get all caught into this. One of them was Judas. That's what he was all about. And so he goes off to the mountain to pray. He needs to get alone. There's three places in the Gospel of Mark where it said Jesus went off by himself and prayed. And every time it's a crisis. And that is something we've been talking a lot about prayer these last few weeks. It's something for us to learn. So there's going to be times in our life when we have big decisions to make. Crises are coming in. Temptations are coming our way. And that's the time sometimes. Don't you just need to get away and pray and seek the Lord? That's what the Lord's doing here, and that's what we need to do a lot of times. So he sends his disciples away, and he's getting alone to pray with the Lord, and that's the context to bring about these circumstances that are going to be in our story tonight. And here's what we're going to learn, what we said the title was, that Jesus will appear in the midst of our trials. And so I've got three points, three headings, if you take notes. And the first one is that our obedience to our Lord will bring us into trials. And the second one is, in the midst of those trials, the Lord will appear. And the third thing is that we need to pray for understanding hearts. So point number one, our obedience to our Lord will bring us into trial. So we'd have to go back to Mark chapter 6, and verse 47 paints the picture. It says, when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he sees them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. So that's the picture. They're in the middle of the lake. And Jesus, it says, is standing on the land. So they're apart. They're not together. And that's always a problem for the disciples whenever they're separated from the Lord. So they've been hours out here rowing to get to the other side. And they've only made it to the middle of the lake. And that verse 48 we read, it says they are toiling. It's a word for dis severe distress. It's also a word that's used for torture. So they're really having a time. It's also in Revelation, it's a word used for labor pains. So women could relate to that. That's what it's saying, this distress they're in. It's like labor pains, torture. They're greatly distressed. And so they're struggling but they're getting nowhere fast because that wind just keeps coming at them, coming at them, coming at them in force, and it's not letting up. Isn't that somehow like a trial can be? Just keeps coming at you and doesn't let up. So they're trying to row this boat. They're in distress. And all of it's happening. Why? Because they have done what he asked them to do. Go to the other side. And so they had to be asking themselves while they're out there at night, these are experienced sailors. Like, why in the world did he compel us? I mean, we had to do what he says. 
or his disciples. But he compels us to get in this boat at night when it's likely these winds are going to come down and these conditions are going to be like that. You know, it's like easy for him to say he's back on the shore. They had to be asking themselves that. (laughs) But many times, obedience to God's commands have brought his people into difficult and distressing situations. We had a whole message on that one time, talking about the children of Israel at the Red Sea. They were well on their way. And God said, no, I want you to circle back around. And he put them in a position where they've got the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's armies behind them. And once again, they're scratching their head like, what is he doing? We could have been out of here. Brought them into trouble. Or what about another familiar story, the three Hebrew boys and Daniel? You know, King Nebuchadnezzar, he makes what? A 90-foot image. And it doesn't say whether the image is of him or some false god. But regardless, he made a commandment that when the band played, everybody had to bow down and worship it. And everybody obeyed. Just like in our society today, isn't it? With the political correctness. Isn't that the way it's getting to be? It's like either you obey what is politically correct or we are going to systematically destroy you. And that's the spirit of Antichrist that is coming over this world. And that's the kind of pressure that's coming that we're going to have to start learning how to deal with, aren't we? This said the spirit of Antichrist was already there. It's just going to just keep increasing, increasing this pressure to conform, this pressure if you don't conform. I mean, it's already you can't preach about homosexuality in Canada. How far away can that be here? Or you can't say anything about somebody's gender. Just you name it. That's what's coming. So everybody obeyed that. Everybody gave into the peer pressure just like they will to the Antichrist, except the elect. So we had three boys there. They wouldn't bow the knee. And they had some pretty cushy jobs. They've been set in place because God had blessed them. They're ruling over the whole province of Babylon, is what it says. I mean, man, there's a lot of people, that money, that job, taking care of their families, that had been all it would have taken. To I'll just bow down my knee and my heart, I'll be somewhere else, but I'll bow my knee to that statue. But they said, uh-uh, we're not going to do that. But it was more than just a cushy job they were going to lose. They're telling them, you're going to lose your life. This fiery furnace, we're going to throw you in there. So what was the key, though, to their obedience? What was the key that had them obey what they were supposed to do? You know what it was? It's the way it's got to be for all of us. We have got to settle it ahead of time. Not wait for the crisis. Not wait for all the pressure to come. We need to do it now to settle that we are going to obey God no matter what it costs us. No matter what it costs us. And that's what Peter said. We talked about it Sunday in Acts 5. He says we ought to obey God rather than man. And when Peter said ought, he didn't mean it'd be appropriate. Now, that's what we ought to do. No, the word ought there means we must. We don't have any other choice. Not if we want to make it in. We must. So we got to determine before things get rough that we must obey what God's commanded us. And when you do that, a lot of times it is going to be costly. Just like with these disciples. Just like we could go on with other... Examples in the Bible, it's going to be costly and distressful. So, you know, John Bunyan, he's written the second greatest best-selling book of all time besides the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress. But it came at a great cost of obedience to him. So he was what was back in that day was called a nonconformist. So you either were in the Anglican church, 
or you were in no church. You weren't recognized and you were in big trouble. And so he refused to be ordained by the Anglican church to be a preacher. And he refused to attend that local parish. And he said only God can call a man to preach. No bishop, no church can do that. So he's the pastor of a small church in Bedford. It was an illegal meeting. And because of that, in our good conscience, we're worshiping God like we should. And because of that, he got thrown in jail, refused to bow the knee to the state church. You know, they have state Christian churches in China today that a lot of people bow the knee to those churches and go to them. It's not like it's a new thing. He refused. Twelve years he spent in prison away from his family. He left his wife with four stepchildren to raise by herself, and that was a lot bigger deal. They didn't have all the charity that they have now that you can get food stamps and all that back then. Uh Uh-uh. And one of the children was a little blind girl. And actually, the first year he was in prison, his wife was pregnant. She ended up having a miscarriage. He paid a tremendous price. And you know what they lived on? That church people there, they all didn't have enough money. They scraped enough that they could feed those people. And John Bunyan's sitting there rotting in that prison, making all the money he can, making shoelaces. I mean, how much money could that have brought in? But that's what they had. But he obeyed despite the distress. And here's what he said. Oh, he said, I saw in this condition I was a man who was pulling down his house upon the head of his wife and children. Yet thought I, I must do it. I must do it, is what he said. I must obey God rather than man. He's like, I don't have a choice. I've got this calling on my life. He was pastoring that church out of prison. Eventually it all worked out. But hey, did God bless his decision? I mean, his family survived. He wrote a book that has helped thousands upon thousands of people, Pilgrim's Progress. Spurgeon read that book every year. If you haven't read it, you're missing out. It's a great book, right? Blessings to thousands. And he got restored to his family, got restored to his church. When new leadership came in England, things changed, right? And so we could see there, there are so many ways that we could name that when we obey the Lord, It's going to bring us into distressing circumstances, just like these disciples in this boat. That's all they're doing is obeying their Lord. They hadn't done anything wrong, just doing what he told them to do. You're going to be out there feeling like you're rowing against the wind, not making any headway. It can be that way with a healing sometimes, right? You're trusting God for healing. You don't complain. You don't talk about it. But it is really getting hard to overcome. And it's like those waves are coming at you, the wind and the waves. It's nonstop, and you're making no progress. It can seem that way, rowing with all your strength and getting nowhere. And that's how they had to feel. Those fishermen, they're out there. They're like, man, nobody's stupid enough to have this boat out at night. And don't we feel like that sometimes? We feel like we're idiots. You know, like, I was raised smarter than this, to not seek other help that I know is available. All right? And when does it come? When are they out on that boat? At night. And that's the worst time for trials, isn't it? At night. And you're out there against the wind and the waves and a trial at night, and it can be hard. Where's the Lord? Why has he sent me out here? You're a young man. I mean, I've talked about this several times, but I've been here. You're a young man of marrying age. And you're going to obey the Lord and say, I'm not going to be unequally yoked. Oh, I could easily get married. 
It really wouldn't be that hard if you wanted to just marry anybody. Anybody's out there waiting for you. But no, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to marry somebody that's compatible with my belief system so I can raise our children the way it should be. And there you are. Many lonely and distressed nights. I'm sure it's tough. Or you got this unreasonable customer you're dealing with. We got a lot of contractors in here and they just keep coming at you. The problem keeps coming, right? <laughs> Causing a lot of stress in your life. Doesn't go away. You'd like to just write them a note and get rid of them. And you could if you're in the world, no problem. Or sue them, no problem. Get your money. But when you do things God's way, sometimes it puts you in a hard way, doesn't it? And you're out there struggling. To obey God at times. But here's the good news. Look, look at verse 48. What does it say? Look at the first part of verse 48. Somebody is watching you in that trial. He saw them toiling in rowing. Well, how did that happen? They're under the watchful eye of the Lord, and so are you. How's he watching them rowing? It's dark, pitch black. And he's on land, and they're in the middle of that it's not a sea, it's a lake. I've been in the middle of that lake. You actually can see the shore, but you can't see it good enough that you'd be able to see a boat late at night, what it's out there doing. Had to be supernatural. Whether he's praying how it's happening, God gives him a vision, I don't know. But one thing I do know is the Lord Jesus Christ saw them in that trial. Saw them in that trial, and he's seeing you in your trial tonight. He's watching what's going on. So regardless... Regardless of how it happens, he didn't have those night vision goggles, I don't think. But however he saw them, he comes and helps them in their distress, doesn't he? And that's my second point tonight. In the midst of our trials, he sees you're in that trial. The Lord Jesus Christ will appear. So how does he appear? Well, we know here in this account, it's a real familiar account to everybody, isn't it? He comes walking on the water. Now, to us, that seems like some great feat, and it is. But it's much more than that. It's much more than just how he was able to walk on the water by his faith. So we got to keep in mind something as we're reading this gospel. What is Mark's purpose? What is the purpose that he's writing this gospel? It's found in the first verse of the first chapter. And it says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So his purpose is to show that Jesus, the Messiah, is no ordinary man, but the Son of God. God in the flesh. The glorious God-man. No ordinary man. That's the purpose. He's written this. And so in walking on the water is significant to us here. We aren't raised as Jews knowing the Old Testament scriptures like we should. But what he's doing there, he's walking where only God can walk, doing what only God could do. So what is happening here is Jesus is answering the disciples' question that they asked back in chapter 441. What manner of man is this? So they're struggling to figure it out. And the Lord Jesus Christ is demonstrating to them and to us who he is by his power over nature, over water, over the sea, over the lake. And so the Old Testament clearly shows God controls the waters. So many passages speak of that, of God's command of the sea. Habakkuk 3, chapter 3, it says, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. 
His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. And he goes on in Habakkuk 3 and says, Thou, God, didst walk through the sea with thine horses, through the heap of great waters. And so that whole picture, if you read what's going on there in Habakkuk, it's this picture of God is trampling through the waters to come deliver His people on His horses like a warrior. <laughs> That's the image you get out of the Old Testament. Isaiah 43, verses 15 to 16. He says, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus saith the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters. Only God can make a path in the sea. And if you would, once again, put something there in Mark and turn back to Job. Now, Job has an interesting couple verses here in chapter 9. Job chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, it says, And then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him, God, and has prospered? Who removes the mountains and they know not? which overturns them in his anger, which shakes the earth out of her place and the pillars thereof tremble, who commands the sun and it rises not and sealeth up the stars, who alone spreads out the heaven and look at the end of verse 8, and he treads, God treads upon the waves of the sea, which makes Arturus, Orion, and Pleiades, the chambers of the south, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. And pay attention here to verse 11. It says, Lo, he goeth by me, and I see him not. He passes on also, but I perceive him not. But Job says in 9, 8 there, he says, God himself is the one that treads upon the waves of the sea. But when he does that, he says, I don't always perceive him when he comes. Verse 11. So go back to Mark 6. And look what it says at the end of verse 48. It says, And here came Jesus. The fourth watch of the night. That's 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. It's dark. It says he's walking upon the sea. And look at that last phrase there in light of what we saw in verse 11. And it says, He would have passed by them. Now that's a funny expression that has had a lot of these commentators. They don't know what to do with that because it sounds funny. He came out to them to help him, but it sounds like he's just going to keep on walking on past them. No, that is a reference. Jesus coming out on that water, this is what we need to see. We tend to look at a verse of Scripture. Well, how does that speak about me and to me? This is speaking about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given what's called a theophany here. He's showing, I am God Almighty in the flesh. I'm doing what only God can do, walk on the water. And that expression passed on by. Where do we see that? You all remember that in the Old Testament? Turn to Exodus 33. That's where we have that, Exodus chapter 33. He shows his glory when he does that, when he passes by. That's what he did to Moses. Look at Exodus 33, beginning in verse 17. Exodus 33, 17, and it says, Then the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, I beg you, Lord, Show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness, what? 
pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, you cannot see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and thou shalt stand upon a rock and it shall come to pass while my glory passes by that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. There it is again. And I will take away mine hand and you shall see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. And go into chapter 34. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. And be ready in the morning and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount. Neither let the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up unto Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Verse 6, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and the fourth generation. His glory passes by, but he can't see his face. That had to be incredible what Moses saw. So go back to Mark 6. And so that's what we're seeing happening here in verse 48. He's walking upon the water and would have passed by them. And we have the same thing, that passing by. It's a theme several places in the Old Testament. The same thing happened to Elijah. He's up on Mount Horeb. He's complaining, I'm the only one left, Lord. I'm the only one left. And they're wanting to kill me. And God says, ah, nah. Just get in this mountain, get in this cave, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, it says to Elijah also, it says the Lord passed by. And if you remember the story, the wind comes, breaks the rocks apart. Oh, the Lord wasn't in that and on and on and on. And the Lord was in that still small voice. But the point is the Lord passed by him too. His glory passed by. And so here's the amazing thing. When the Lord passed by these Old Testament saints, what couldn't you see? Couldn't see his face, could you? Couldn't look on his face. But when God appeared to Moses and Elijah, he's majestic and awesome. They had to hide themselves from his glory. But now the glory and majesty is seen in who? Who are we seeing the glory and majesty of God in? Our Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen it all the way through our studies here in this gospel, have we not? His glory and majesty, and it's coming now, and he's walking on this water. But the glory of God is now, the Father is seen, it says in the Bible, in the face of Jesus Christ. They can see that, and it should give, when they're seeing this, it should give these disciples great assurance, shouldn't it? God's on display. He's come out to help them, displaying his glory in front of them. But instead... <laughs> When we read this, when they see him walking on the sea, it talks about they are scared to death, right? Instead of being comforted, what does it say? 
Like that. Verse 49, when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed they had seen a spirit. He was a spirit. And they cried out for they all saw him, it says in verse 50, and they're troubled, which means they're thrown into confusion. They don't know what to make of this. These guys are sailors. They haven't seen anything like this. This was not a common sight. And that word for spirit, phantasma, is the Greek. It's where we get our word phantom or ghost. They're thinking they're seeing a ghost. They <laughs> cry out in fear. I mean, what would you have done? I've never seen a spirit or a being like that myself. You know, it's funny. One time I was working doing heating and air conditioning, which I had no business doing, but I'm in this crawl space, and I'm hearing these two contractors eating lunch, talking to each other. And this one is talking about saying he sees this figure walking down his hallway. And they're just talking like they just see it every day. I'm thinking, wow, I'd be losing it if that was me. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. He just talked about it with his buddy. And this guy's like, yeah, really? I mean, I'm like, come on. But it threw these guys here. It threw them, like I said, into confusion. It wasn't Jesus' purpose to scare them, was it? It wasn't. Because look what we read there. They saw him and were troubled. And what does it say in verse 50? Here's one of his favorite words again. Immediately. What does it say he did? It says immediately he talks to them. And so he talks to them as only God could talk to them. And what does he say? Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. So he's not giving them this little friendly greeting. Hey, fellas, it's me. How's everything going? No, it's not like that. This is not a little friendly be of good cheer. It actually is be of good courage. And so when it says, it is I, that is the same message of God's self-revelation all through the Old Testament. It is I. It's ego and me is the Greek. I am that I am. A me says it is I. When you add an ego on there, it's emphasis. It's what they use for I am that I am. And it's used all through the Gospel of John. When Jesus says, I am, he says, ego and me, I am the bread of life. Ego and me, I am the light of the world. He says, before Abraham was, he says, ego and me, I am. He's saying, I'm the one that Moses saw. And that's what Jesus is telling them. Be of good courage. I am, is what he said. I am that I am. Amen. Don't be afraid. Amen. I'm God. I'm here. That's what he's telling them. He's demonstrating what John said, you read the Gospel of John, Jesus clearly says and declares, I am God. But Mark, Mark is an action gospel. And through Mark, he demonstrates who he is, doesn't he? By walking on that water, appearing to him like that. I like Young's literal translation of this. He says, here's how Young literally translates the Greek. Take courage. I am. Be not afraid. Jesus is telling them, I am the God of the Old Testament that walks on the waters. Makes a path in the mighty waters. Who is this man? They asked. Who is this man? So our Lord Jesus Christ is the God of the Old Testament that delivers his people in their trials. Take courage. I am. Be not afraid. Isaiah 41.10, we sing this song. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Isn't that what Jesus is telling them? I am. 
I am here. I will uphold you. I will strengthen you. Fear thou not, for I am with you. That's what he's telling him. He's the God of Isaiah 43, 1 to 3. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called you by thy name, for you are mine. And when you pass through the waters... I will be with you and through the rivers they shall not overflow you when you walk through the fire thou shalt not be burned neither shall the flame kindle upon thee for I am the Lord thy God the Holy One of Israel thy Savior and that is the word what we have here this simple phrase be of good cheer it is I be not afraid that is the word of God of our Lord Jesus Christ to all the saints in trials down through the centuries and that's his word to you if you're in a trial. Those are commands. They're in the imperative. <laughs> He's commanding us to be of good courage. He is. And what he gives commands to do, he will empower those commands as we believe those words and make them our own if we can do that. So by the Spirit of God, he's saying, have courage, have the assurance that I, the great I am, is with you, and you can have victory over fear. That's what he's telling them, and that's what he's telling us. So one principle we can learn, this is the message tonight, is from this text, that in the midst of storms and hardships and adversities, Jesus will reveal himself to his disciples isn't that what he did here? And he'll reveal himself that way to you. As you endure your trials, you'll find out who he is. You'll have a revelation of who he is. That's what he does for his sheep. Because what do these trials do? What does it show them? Their insufficiency, their lack, their rowing all night long to no avail. And here he comes walking on the water in control, in command, telling them, don't be afraid. I saw everything you're going through. I'll help you through that. And that's where he's found, in the midst of those trials, in the midst of our obedience, that is where he found. So remember, let's get back to our story about the three Hebrew boys. They're facing that distressing trial, that fiery furnace, because of their obedience to God. And that furnace was called exceeding hot. And now what the New Testament calls our trials, exceeding hot. And it says this, those men, they bound them up in everything they had. They tied them in knots, literally. It says they were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, and their other garments. And they were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, Well, wait a minute. He says, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like unto the Son of God. And so where did they meet him? Through their obedience that brought them into that trial. Wouldn't bow the knee. And that's where we're going to meet our Lord. That's what we're seeing here in this, isn't it? That's when he comes walking on the water. And what do you think happened when Jesus met these men as they're being cast into those flames? I don't know at what point they came face to face with him. I don't think they got very far in there. And there he is. What do you think transpired then? I think he said to them what he said to the disciples 
and what he will say to you and I, be of good courage. It is I. I am. I'm here with you. Amen. Don't be afraid. That's right. He probably did that as soon as they got near that place. Who knows? But he was with them, right? And so let those words resonate in your heart. Make a sign for your office. That'd be a good thing to do, wouldn't it? Have it in your kitchen. Put it in your bedroom for your night trials, right? Be of good courage. It is I. I'm here with you. That'd be a good thing to remember at night, wouldn't it? Put that on your iPhone, right? But those promises are all through the New Testament about that our Lord is with us. Matthew 28, lo, he says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We've got to remember those promises when things are going bad for us in whatever way. He promises he will be with us. Our Lord and Savior promises that. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says this. He has said, Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And so when you have a great leader with you, doesn't it give you courage and strength when you have somebody like that with you? It does. You know, in the Civil War, in the first battle of Bull Run it was, the Confederate troops were crumbling, they were falling apart, and they were headed to sure defeat. That's the way it looked. It looked hopeless. And guess who came on the scene? Old Stonewall Jackson came riding in. Stonewall Jackson with his reinforcements. And it was said that the sight of him standing there Holding their ground. Everybody else was retreating. Oh, no. He trained his men well. He's sitting tall in that saddle, and those bullets are just whizzing around him, and he's not afraid to die, and neither were his men. And it gave courage to the other soldiers and officers. And one brigadier general, this is what he said. This is how he got his name. He says, there's Jackson standing like a stone wall. Let us determine to die here, and we will conquer. Rally behind the Virginians. And guess what happened? They ended up turning that whole battle around because of that. Getting sight of him there, it gave him courage. Right? Turn that battle around and they routed the northern army. Well, guess what? We have a leader way more supreme than Stonewall Jackson. The king of kings and the lord of lords, right? That will come on his white horse to deliver us. And if we're willing to die for him, like they said to Jackson, we will surely conquer but you've got to be willing to die. If you're not willing to die in a trial, guess what? He's, the devil's got you. He'll get you to that point. Well, that's what it is. Whether it's our throat being slit, however we're trusting God for, whatever promise we have, we've got to be willing to die for Him. That's what faith is. So listen, our king, he's not just a stone wall. He's the rock of ages. And he'll come when we're in distress. And he's not going to bring reinforcements. He's all the reinforcement we need. Amen. And he says he'll be with us, right? So listen, knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ, we just quoted Matthew 28 and Hebrews 13, knowing that he is with us should give us great comfort, shouldn't it? Just like the apostles, what we were reading. So we don't see him like they did, do we? We have to see him in the word and through the eye of faith. That's what Moses did. It says, by faith Moses forsook Egypt. He wasn't fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Got to have our heavenly eyes open. 
And that brings me to my last point, that we need to pray for understanding hearts. So Jesus climbed into the ship, and it says as soon as he got in that ship that the wind ceased. You know, you read John's account, and it says all of a sudden that whole boat is right on the shore. Another miracle took place. You don't get that out of Mark necessarily. But disciples, they cannot believe what they just saw. The King James says, if you look down there in verse 51, they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure. That's a long way of saying they were utterly astonished. You know, that'd be like Adam. Adam's always talking about he's going to get him a Tesla. And they only make like 90,000 of those things. That'd be like Adam pulls up one day and comes in. Hey, I got my Tesla out front. You want to come see it? Well, I mean, I'd go out there. I'd be like, that's pretty impressive. You actually save the money and you actually have this Tesla here. That's a pretty neat looking car. That's impressive, right? But what if Adam says, yeah, and they got a lot of new features in here. And what if he got in his Tesla and that thing started hovering and then pew, took off out into space? I'd be like utterly astonished. <laughs> And that's what's going on with these guys. They're seeing Jesus. They're that. They're seeing Adam and his Tesla flying up in the sky, right? That's what it's talking about here. And there was a reason for that. It's verse 52. It says, why? For. Here's why. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves. And this is kind of hard to take, isn't it? For their heart was hardened. The Bible's talking about these disciples' heart is like an unbeliever's heart. The people that are on the outside, the ones that harden their hearts. Wow. Aren't we warned in Hebrews that we're to encourage each other in our faith, lest we have an evil heart of unbelief? We've got to encourage ourselves in that way, right? Why does he bring the loaves in here? He's connecting these two things that happened in this chapter. What is it that they don't understand about the loaves? What do the loaves have to do with walking on water? What's the problem? What is it here? It's two things. One thing is they don't comprehend how much that God really cares for them. How many of us struggle with that? How much God really cares for them and will take care of them and that in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's all their needs. When he says you feed them, they should have said you feed them because you're the one God has given us to take care of everything. They're in that boat. They should say when he comes there, he is here to help us. He saw us in our distress. He's here just in time. Every time we get in trouble, He's here to help us. That's our Lord. That's the first thing they missed. And the other thing they're missing is that it is God that has come down to earth in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not just a comic book hero doing some great feat. He's not some prophet. No, they still have not figured this out yet. You know what's amazing? So we think because we get saved and hear a faith message and all, we kind of used to think, well, you're supposed to just understand and have this faith and have it all figured out and being able to walk in this like that. That's the way I used to feel. And we don't see that, though, here in the Bible, do we? These guys have been struggling. They're still asking, who is this man? They haven't quite figured it all out yet, have they? And so he's patient with them, isn't he? He doesn't rebuke them. When he comes and they're all afraid, he doesn't be like, man, you guys, what's wrong with you, bunch of chickens? screaming because you're in a trial and you see me? He doesn't do that, does he? He gives them words of encouragement. He's patient with them. He works with them because they're his elect. He's working with them. But here's the thing. It's got to be a revelation. You know, if it's not revealed, all of our hearts will be hardened by what we see. God has to open our understanding of his word. 
Listen, after the resurrection in Luke 24, Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. He tells them that they still hadn't got it yet. And it says then in Luke 24, verse 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. So it's not just automatic that you can see a heathen could see. Yeah, God promises to heal. There's healing in the word. I got it. It's not that simple. You've got to have an understanding of God's power. It's a spiritual thing to really be able to trust him. The Lord of glory has to be revealed to us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. And so lest somebody gets upset and think, well, man, he might not reveal it to me. Maybe he hasn't or I'm struggling or whatever. Jesus said this, everyone that asks receives. He that seeks finds, and to him that knocks, it shall be opened. So you don't have to worry about that if you're wanting to know. Just seek him. Just ask him. Just knock. He'll reveal himself to you. He will. So we can pray in faith with David. Listen to what he prayed, Psalm 119, 18. This is a prayer. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. In other words, God has got to open our eyes. We have to have that, I'm telling you. So, if you think miracles would produce faith, we just have it right here. When you look at verse 52, their heart was hardened. They've just seen two of the greatest miracles you could ever imagine. They actually participated in the, handing out these loaves, seeing them multiplied miraculously, and they still didn't get it. And then they see him come walking on the water and the sea is calm and it says they still didn't get it. They still didn't get it. So miracles don't necessarily produce faith. It comes from what? A supernatural knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, a true understanding. And it doesn't come from miracles, feelings, loud preaching. But the word as it's anointed and opened up by the Holy Spirit, that is how we know the Lord and are able to trust him. That's how it happens. Jesus says, look, my flesh doesn't profit anything. He says, the words that I speak unto you, those words, they are spirit and they are your life. Anointed words are our life. But God has to give us an understanding of those words. So let's turn, Brother Hamilton used to quote this, I think every other meaning. Uh, let's read it. Ephesians 1. Verses 16 to 19. This is how important it is. Look what Paul says to the Ephesians. Ephesians 1.16, Paul says, I cease not to give thanks for you. I'm making mention of you in my prayers. And here's what he prays. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in what? We're saying you have to have a supernatural knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and the knowledge of him. Look what he says in verse 18. The eyes of your understanding, your spiritual understanding, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And look at verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us? 
who believe according to the working of His mighty power. That is something that has to be revealed. Our understanding has to be enlightened about that. That's what he's praying about God's power. That we can put our trust in it. That he cares for us. That he will do for us what he says in his word. And we don't have to be afraid. That we can trust him. The great I am is with us. God opened our eyes to that as a church. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. So turn back to Mark 6, and he'll do it. He will do it. Well, we've got to seek him. Got to seek him. Got to ask him to open our understanding, our spiritual eyes. So one thing's certain from this miracle that we see here about Jesus walking on the water. This much we can say for certain. He cares for his disciples, doesn't he? Comes to their aid, didn't leave them out there. And he sees their distress in the darkest part of the night. And he comes out to them in the deepest part of the lake at the darkest part of the night. Like I said, he doesn't rebuke them for not recognizing who he is. Instead, he assures them that he is with them and that all is well. Takes them safely back to shore. That's what our Lord does. Brings us back to our desired haven. So you can get so familiar with this story and so caught up in the fact, well, Jesus walking on the water that you can miss the whole point. And the point is that in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your adversity, in the midst of your trial and distress, we have got to learn to listen for the Lord to say, be of good courage. Instead of listening to other voices, listen to the Lord say, be of good courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Isn't that what he told Jairus? Oh, man, everything's working against Jairus. His daughter was sick, but now she's dead. Think of the thoughts, and the Lord says, Oh, no, it is I. Be not afraid. So we used to sing this song. We'll close with this. Here comes Jesus. See him walking on the water. He'll lift you up and help you to stand. Here comes Jesus. He's the master of the waves that roll. Here comes Jesus, and he'll make you whole. Just be looking for him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. And Father, we all here just join our hearts and we pray, as Paul prayed, that you will open the eyes of our understanding, Lord, and give us wisdom and knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ that we can see what great power he is willing to exercise towards us that believe and that we do not have to fear, that we can put our trust in him and know that when we obey him, the trials we go through, he sees what we're going through, and he will be there to help us. He will come to our aid. That's what he promises. I thank you for this word that you've given us tonight. I just ask you to help remind all of us when we get in trials of what those simple words are. Be of good courage, for I am with you. Amen. We thank you for that revelation in Jesus' name.